Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech Africa series. I'm Rudy Fala, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors, incumbents, and ecosystem hub leaders from Africa. And this episode is hosted by Patrick. Welcome. In this edition, we continue to highlight the inspiring individuals and organizations making waves on Africa's fintech scene. MFS Africa is the continent's largest payments gateway, connecting over 320 million mobile wallets in over 30 African countries, and they're just getting started. Our guest is Daniel Mason, the company's head of growth. He's here to share some of his personal insights on the state of affairs in the industry, as well as what MFS Africa has in store for the region or elsewhere. What's up, Daniel? How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Mr. Ori. Good to Welcome be here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So to start, would you share more about your personal journey in fintech and describe what your role as head of growth entails? So my career started off not specifically within fintech, but very closely related to it. So I worked for a corporate incentives company that uh, had proprietary points banking software to incentivize stuff, basically almost gamifying your job and rewarding you accordingly. And I was exposed to quite a bit in terms of points banking software, how that translates into real world currency and how that can be used to motivate staff in different sectors, in different employee ranks, the psychology behind that. And after, so that was why I started off. And after a few years, ended up founding an e-commerce startup, which was a software as a service, but also had a marketplace component. As any software as a service, we needed to have a place whereby we could not only pay our merchants, but also be able to have a, a, a place where there would be store value that we could debit the, the monthly subscriptions. So the Sky Garden model was, you know, looking at e-commerce uh, here on the continent, there's a lot of strides that, that that has been made by big players, whether that's Jumia with its OLX group. However, we felt that having pure tech play that could capitalize on social commerce um, is what made sense. So to that end, we built an internal wallet. And that is where I started really getting my, my understanding of the fintech world, working with aggregator, both in the payments and the comm space, understanding the licensing landscape, making sure that the platform was as intuitive as possible. So I built and, and, and I built and ran that for about uh, five years. And after securing, uh, successfully securing our Series A towards the end of last year, I decided to take a break and let the company without my day-to-day -day management. And in, in that, I started working with certain VCs in an advisory capacity and was exposed to certain fintech companies, mostly within the East and West African region. So got to be exposed to quite a few models, etc. And it was at this point whereby my parts with MFS Africa, I was approached by their senior leadership team to lead their growth, particularly within the software as a service element of the Bionic stack. Bionic is a Ugandan fintech that was wholly acquired by MFS Africa towards the end of last year. And so very excited to be building something new, you know, within a company that I fully resonate with in terms of the vision, which is a United Africa, making borders matter less and really merging all my collective experience in making that a reality. So that's what I would say as my foray within the fintech space. Nice. 
sounds like a day at the office is quite uh, interesting. Being it's interesting to say the least because it really we don't build tech for the sake of tech. We we don't build we build things that literally have an impact on people's lives. I'm particularly excited about the impact that this has in people's ability to achieve prosperity or economic upliftment. It's something that I saw quite personally within my last startup, and it's something that with MFS Africa's resources, ambition, leadership can become a much, much bigger reality outside of outside of one geographic. Cool. Having said that, could you tell us more about the scope of MFS Africa's service offering in mm. more detail? Certainly. So uh, uh, allow me just to give a bit of history. The company was founded in 2010 by founder CEO Dario Kuju. He had previously been in charge of scaling mobile money under the MTN network. And after the success of that, he saw quite an opportunity in terms of each of, of these holding companies, even within the MTN group. They, as much as mobile money would thrive domestically, there was still this huge opportunity for connector between countries, things that, you know, administrative, there's a national identity, etc. But when it comes to trade, they can be quite a barrier. Yeah. So if you look at Togo, Togo, Ghanaian, Benin corridor on its own, there's quite a few, quite a lot of trade that happens, a lot of inflows that happen into Nigeria by either citizens or people who are actually looking to exchange value. So just looking at the, the prevalence of mobile money and the opportunity that this serves, he saw an opportunity where one company could be able to set up connections between all these different telcos and, and basically navigate not only the, the actual integration by API base, but also the regulatory side, the treasury side, settlement, float management, etc. So it gets quite complex. But yeah, so MFS was MFS Africa was built with that dream of making payments matter, borders making less, excuse me. It was born with a vision of making borders matter less when it comes to payments. And that's something that I think he's done incredibly well, along with the, with the team. And I think in uh, towards the, the last three, four years, they've done very well in terms of securing solid investment, have launched their own uh, internal investment, which is uh, MFS Frontiers. And through that investment vehicle, have been able to do quite a bit of acquisition, including Bionic, as I mentioned, towards the end of last year. Now, Bionic, on the other side, has done very well for itself, particularly in Uganda as a fintech, in centralizing both collections and disbursements for all sorts of clients. So either developers who are looking just for uh, an API-based solution, whereby they can have collections and bulk disbursements, and also a lot of NGOs who are looking for bulk disbursements, a lot of governmental institutions as well who are looking to increase their efficiencies. And they were able to scale this pretty well within the East African bloc and also started looking towards West Africa. So there was an alignment of vision and this this brought about the best strengths of MFS Africa in terms of the international cross-border payments and Bionic's very strong domestic offering. So with these combined forces, you can see how this can really go towards making that dream a reality. If I was to put it in very simple terms, if money is the lifeblood of all businesses, of all economies, MFS Africa is the rails, is the veins, the arteries through which this happens. A lot of clients are obviously telcos, banks, uh, government institutions who use MFS Africa's rails. 
it's not necessarily for the longest time hasn't been uh, a consumer facing brand not a lot of people are aware of it bionic on the other side was a lot closer to smaller businesses and it's this union that really helps in making making this dream a reality <laughs> thanks thanks for that daniel having said that against that background what's the onboarding process what does it look like for someone like me as an individual or as an organization, Imaginarium say, I'd like to access your services. What are the minimum requirements that I would need to have to use your services? And what's the business model look like? What's the pricing, comparative advantage, and so on? Sure. So there's, there's two things. Um, the MFS Africa Hub is in the business of connecting telcos, banks, and as a result, has become very well in tuned with the regulatory requirements in each, not in only regions, but in each and every country. So the Central Bank of Kenya is what will actually, and the Communications Authority are the ones who will direct what a telco needs to have as KYC requirements, right? And to that end, any client who wants to onboard has to match whatever the, the governing regulatory requirements are in the, in the domicile country. Now, this includes just, for example, before you have a company, you need to have individuals who are behind that company, the directors of that company. So there needs to be declaration of such. Uh, we need to have IDs, tax compliance certificates, tax registration certificates, any business permits, any membership of member associations that they may be a part of in the countries. Yeah. So that, that sort of gives you an idea of what we do, both on individual and KYB, know your business level. In terms of making sure that people are ready and, and clearly understand this, we've also invested quite a bit in terms of self, self sign up uh, and making sure that our onboarding process is, is as smooth as possible, also from a KYC, KYC perspective. And these days, there's, a, there's quite a great um, way of being able to validate these things on the fly. There's a great company called Smile ID that's, a, that's already plugged into the central data databases and, and registered government registries to be able to validate this based on API integrations. We also do something called PEP screening, which is a PEP is an acronym that stands for politically exposed persons. So whenever transactions are happening, we also have to monitor whether the, 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 the sender or the end recipients are, any, are on any sanction list. And of course, this is to mitigate against any money laundering uh, activities that could be taking place. The business of facilitating payments, payments form a strong stimulus for any business, for any company to scale. But of course, we, it is also our responsibility to make sure that we're ticking off the right boxes and we're doing what we need to do. Yeah, great. The pricing model. So it really depends uh, on the size of the institution. So the way I would charge you as Imaginarium would be very different to how uh, a company that that is in, I'm not diminishing your skill here, but you know, how <laughs> we charge an SME is very different to how we charge a, a multi multinational company like Spotify. And really that deals with a lot, it deals a lot to do with the complexity, okay? So if I, as Daniel Myson, I'm setting up an e-commerce platform, all I need to do is collections on the marketplace and also do disbursements to my merchants. And that's as simple as an API call. We are in the process of building a SaaS offering whereby, you know, a nominal fee would, would be able to give you access to the whole host of both collections and, and disbursement figures. So right now it's equivalent to just about $10 in, in, in local currency. 
And as Daniel Myson, who's a developer or who's an entrepreneur, will be able to access both collections, disbursements, and cross-border payments, which is really strong. And I'm sure in, in your experience also at Imaginarium, you can see the value proposition there. This translates across all telcos within my within the my home country, say if I'm here in Kenya or in Uganda or Rwanda or Burundi, whichever country it is, I can be able to collect from most telcos. I can be able to, or actually most of the big ones we have on the continent. So any Vodafone, Safaricom, MTN, Airtel, Orange, which are really the biggest players on the continent. That's a one-stop shop, both in collections and disbursements. And then also being able to push funds to, to banking recipients is something that we will be able to do at a nominal fee. Now, when it comes to someone, say, One Acre Fund, Save the Children, World Vision, Spotify, those are, those are pretty big companies. We obviously have individual commercials with them based on the total processed values. So, you know, that normally looks at a percentage fee in terms of collection and also a dollar fee in terms of disbursements. So a dollar-based fee rather. So it's not $1, but I think you get it. So yeah, that's pretty much what the pricing is. So the idea here is to make sure that we have pricing that's accommodating to any budding entrepreneur, to any global multinational with the same level of excellence. Of course, if they have different needs in complexity, whether it's account management, whether it's reconciliation from a treasury perspective, or whether it's just you, as Mr. Patrick Awori, you manage your own float, you onboard yourself. It's really, you probably never need to talk to anyone to sign up, um, which is really the dream. Yeah. Okay, so what I hear from you is that it's really dependent on the scale and complexity of someone's payment needs. And, and there is a slight benefit or an added benefit in economies of scale so that you're retaining the customer as they grow. At okay. least from the little research I've done, it sounds like you're trying to accommodate all segments uh, of your market and uh, right from onboarding into their growth and beyond. So you're growing with your customers. Is that correct? 100%. So we still, I, I really like to think of it as, uh, you'll probably hear me using this analogy here and probably in future. I really think as, I think of, of, of funds or money as the lifeblood for any business. That's, that's your true north, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The people who you choose to partner with to facilitate this need to know, you might not necessarily need to know intimately the, the, the model or the dream, but we need to have the functionality to make that a reality. And we need to be able to do that at scale, right? right. Now, what I really love genuinely about MFS Africa is that this is founded by people who've walked that journey as individuals. A lot of people celebrate and hear we've raised a triple digits funding, but they don't know that this was also a startup. This was also, they also faced a lot of realities that a lot of the businesses that we serve face as well. And having that at the core of our DNA is something that translates into every single line of code, into every single pricing decision that we make, into every single geographic decision that we choose to to endeavor in. And therefore, we want to make sure that if somebody wants to start up, they start up well and start up solidly. And we we have a price point that that is affordable and is accessible. And one that does not necessarily leave them out of the loop in terms of features that they can enjoy. We're building for Africa. It's built by Africans. It's really not a a premium (laughs) offering in terms of, oh, because you're paying one person is paying $3 extra, they get a whole host of features. It's not really that base. It's right. free offering. You can choose to go the pay-as-you-go model. You can choose to go the SaaS model. But at the end of it, we need to make sure that 
regardless of your decision on pricing, that you're still able to to achieve the dreams that you as an entrepreneur yeah. or as an enterprise can, can, can has. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it sounds like it's not a one size fits all solution. You really get into the metals of the customer's needs and you try to meet them there. And I think that's a powerful value proposition. Thank you. Moving from that, would you speak from your perspective, sitting where you sit, a, a, a little bit to the current boom witnessed in the remittance industry in Africa? Yeah, I, I know, of course, once you're in payments, especially mobile payments, you're going to be having, and, and cross-border payments at that, you're going to be having a lot of remittance inflows or outflows and, and we, we're all aware that this is blowing up right now. How long do you think we can sustain this boom or openly? Would you be able to just speak a little bit to it? Sure, sure, Patrick. This boom, I would say, is particularly, I think, a, a core symptom, positive symptom of that or indicator of that is the, what we've seen within the funding landscape, whether it's in, in, in fintech startups uh, or scale-ups, the amounts of funds that they're able to raise as a reflection of the current uh, trend of the, the transaction processed value that they enable. I don't think that they, whether or not it's sustainable is, is really, a, I don't think it's really a factor. I think it's reflective of the reality. I think it's the fact that mobile money and, and its true potential was realized here in, on, in, in Africa. We've seen the success. Everybody knows, or at least everybody should know, about the ubiquitous way that M-Pesa translates and changes people's lives uh, here in Kenya. And then obviously having the different nuances of that in different geographics. So there's multiple factors. Mobile penetration is really solid. There's a growing middle-class economy, both within Africa and also, of course, remittances from diaspora. But more, and this is what excites me the most genuinely, more so the potential for cross-border trade for intra-African trade, for somebody in Togo being able to now not only just serve customers in Togo, but to also serve customers in Kenya, in at, least, at least in Abidjan at the least, Burkina Faso, anywhere within the environs. Mm. That is something that's really solid. If you couple the growth that you see within e-commerce, and of course, COVID was a huge catalyst towards this, logistics companies all having to embrace fintech as a company, that's, uh, as a principle or as, as a way to, to ensure that certain endpoints are triggered or there's no issues around efficiency as you would in cash. There's a lot of companies that are, that, that are coming up. There's a lot of specialization in different spaces. I'm, I'm eager to see what this translates to in all the different flows, whether it's in KYC, whether it's in FX management, whether it's in reconciliation, that come as a result of this boom that we're seeing here within the, within the African fintech space. And of course, also the maturity of the tech ecosystem on the continent. If you were to compare those two graphs, they're really side by side. So new solutions are being created from existing problems, evolving problems as well. We've been saying it's a dawn of Africa for many years. This is it and, and it will continue to be. to be. And, and I think fintech is a very, you cannot extricate the growth narrative of Africa without talking about fintech. Yeah. Right. Sky's the limit. However, we can all agree that there's some challenges that, that remain outstanding or that remain to be resolved. And we can, all, we can credit a large extent of your success at MFS Africa to tackling the challenge of interoperability, which has been hanging over our heads for a while. Mm. Based on your experience, 
And uh, mm. having registered the success that you've registered by focusing on that issue, what more can be done uh, to streamline payments, digital payments in Africa and propel us further as a world-class hub? And uh, this is coming off the back of the buzz around AFTCA. And probably maybe, can you, would you be able to link the two and give us some sort of perspective on that? Mm. Mm. For sure, certainly. The continental free trade agreement is, is something that is massive as an idea, but would be would really reach its true potential once it happens in practice and becomes a true reality. And this true reality will not happen unless we have full in buy-in, genuine buy-in by all the different participating countries on the continent. And for that to happen, there needs to be one thing, <laughs> and that's trust. Yeah, the whole job of a regulator in any economy is to make sure that people do what they need to be doing and people do what they need to be doing safely without causing harm, without being exploitative. And I think there needs to be quite a lot of belief in, in terms of that greater vision. I think we need to, and, and now I'm really talking about leadership, Mr. Ori. I think we need to have our actions reflect this dream and, and in that regard, make sure that we are really being proactive within the regulatory landscape, making sure that we explore things, not necessarily from a scarcity slash fear-based mentality, but from, an, from a world, or from a lens of opportunity rather. So I think that there needs to be a very strong collaborative spirit across the board. We can start off at a regional perspective. That's the, the pros and cons of that can be discussed. There's a lot of complexity when it comes to currency exchanges, treasury. If I want to change Kenya shillings, if I want to trade with somebody uh, and I have a business here in Nairobi, in Kenya, and I want to just send goods across the border to Uganda, why do I have to change my shillings through to dollars then into Ugandan shillings? There's different levels and there's reasons why that's the case. But for us to really harness that dream, there, there needs to be a lot of doubling down in terms of just us really putting on our thinking hat and seeing how this can translate to me as the individual entrepreneur in Kenya and my counterpart in Uganda and in, in Zambia, etc. Because then MFS Africa's potential can truly be unleashed. So to answer your question, I think I've, I've, we know that innovation will always lead and regulatory or compliance is always lagging behind. We know that that's not a it's not a new fact. I've also seen some things that are sometimes a little bit a bit worrying, whether it comes when, when it comes to certain government's decisions, when it comes to stifling growth in the aim of tax collection. I don't need to cite any examples. I think mm-hmm. there are quite a few. And things like that. And also, I think there's been quite a and, and speaking from an MFS Africa perspective. There's been quite a lot of good work, both on banks just realizing that the SME route and enabling, enabling their customers to grow and using them either, or even telco rails. So if I'm, if I'm Stanbic in Uganda, or, you know, I can be able to trade with someone in Kenya, et cetera. If I'm in Airtel in Congo, I can be able to do the same thing in Kenya. If I'm in MTN Benin, being able to, to transfer funds through to Togo, et cetera. From the private sector, from telcos and banks, there's, there's a really strong focus in making all this a reality. The missing leg there is obviously on the, on the regulatory perspective and, and making sure that we are leading the pack. But regulatory perspective doesn't happen in a vacuum. It needs leaders who can enforce this. It needs leaders who, who can put energy behind it. There's tons of user, user 
cases, success stories, such as your Imaginarium and, and everything else that you've done before? And how many other success stories are there? Should we really truly get our act together? So that's my take on that. Interesting. You mentioned trust, you mentioned leadership, you mentioned collaboration, regulatory streamlining and tax barriers. What's your take on crypto? Will it take crypto, blockchain, will it take something disruptive to get us there? Perhaps? What's your take, opinion, your personal take? I think I'm really, I'm quite excited about the challenging, the fact that crypto is really challenging all, all, all the previous, what we thought was a reality versus what is it. And, and its ability to truly disrupt, as you say, mm. uh, is there for the taking. However, there is a lot of fear. As you, I don't think there's anything that has <laughs> truly, sh- sh- truly displayed that. And it's interesting to see the different takes in, in governments, even on the African continent. I think it's something that, that, that is here to, to stay, in my opinion. I think it's going to take quite a bit of time for it to to get to uh, mass adoption. And I'm talking from a layman's perspective. I will reserve my judgment to see if this is something that a lot of African central banks will wholeheartedly endorse. I'm very happy, though, to see digital currencies. I know that's a different thing, but I think it's a step in the right direction. So that's my that's that's my take. I think there's quite a that can be leveraged through existing rails. It's just a matter of us being able to, as I said before, not necessarily be fear-based, not have a wait-and-see approach. I heard from, from Dari, our founder, that when he was in college, they, in the mid-90s, they couldn't talk about, they had massive debates about e-commerce and, and <laughs> how difficult it would be and how who's going to be paying tax and how do you protect the consumer, the merchant, etc. Right. Right now, it's a reality. It's happening. Some of the biggest companies in the world, that's the backbone, right? I think crypto is going to pretty much go along the same line. It will take some time. Of course, uh, certain economies are a lot more progressive than here at home. But that's where I stand right now. Cool. Thanks for that. Moving on, we've been noticing... your moves as MFS in the last one or two years, some big moves like Nigeria. I can't help but but touch a correlation with a global pandemic. And you spoke a little bit about it in the beginning of our chat. But my question then would be, if COVID-19 has influenced or accelerated your growth strategy, at least in the region, how would it be affected now by a, a, a seemingly a, a gradual reopening of regional economies? Would you continue to grow aggressively or are you going to take a step back and just hold for a bit? Because now, for instance, in Kenya, where I'm sitting now, there is no curfew. People are freely moving. Maybe cash is gaining an advantage on mobile. Who knows? I'd like to hear your opinion on whether a decline or a sort of a deceleration of the COVID-19 pandemic mm. is affecting your growth strategy or is it full speed ahead? Definitely full speed. I'll, I'd like to draw a parallel. I'll give you a bit of a weird example. Before we had, you probably had a cab guy, right? That's true. You'd be like, hey, James, come pick, drop me here. Please pick me up at this time. And you would just hope that he would actually be there at that time. Once Uber came in, your your relationship with James changed, isn't it? It's the same thing that COVID did. COVID completely shattered a lot of ways in which people thought they could do business. They really rewrote that script. Here in Kenya, just to use that, that, that example, really 
I have to just applaud the government. I'll give credit where it's due in terms of the, the way in which they earmarked certain industries to, to make sure that the economy was still going in the world of COVID. So how e-commerce companies were whitelisted, postal courier companies were all whitelisted. They were not affected by, by curfew, by inter-county operations, etc. And this was as a solution to enable all these SMEs who previously uh, lived in a world of location-based, cash-based transactions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, for each and every one of those people who have now, um, who for the past 18, 20 months have been living in this reality, you don't necessarily regress. What you do is you double down. So if I had a physical premise, I now rethink of how I use that physical premise. Will it be my primary source of operations? Will it be storage? Will it be, or can I now see that all of a sudden I can have you know, virtual networks through different presence of social media or platforms. It, it does not undo all the progress that was made to answer your question. It What it does is that it forced everyone to really embrace digital payments. And as a result, of course, that just increases because the use cases were, were really experienced on a first-hand basis. Efficiencies really improved for those businesses that did survive and those that did grow. And they can be able to see what, how, how, our services can really enable them to to scale, grow, and and become a lot more lean within the operations perspectives. Yeah, that's what it is. There's so many different sectors that have improved. I've mentioned already e-commerce and ride-hailing platforms, on-demand delivery companies. Of course, there's health tech, there's edutech, there's the way in which government is doing, is disbursing to beneficiaries, whether it's vulnerable persons, in, in even, of course, in remote areas, etc. So COVID changed a lot of lives. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of economic disruption that happened. But just the different world wars that happened early in the 20th century, a lot of innovation happened as a result. And I think this is what has happened for FinTech and and will continue to facilitate a lot of expansion, not only in MFS Africa, but in, you know, with any other companies within the space as a whole. I would agree. And I was actually about to ask you to speak a little bit more on the role you believe developing infrastructure and platforms such as yours plays Mm. in the broader social and economic development of the continent beyond COVID or before COVID. What role do you think players like yourselves and the other peers like Flutterwave, M-Pesa, have played. And of course, we know the obvious examples like Kenya in terms of financial inclusion and so on. Your opinion, your perspective. For me, I'll answer this from a very personal perspective. My my experience with employment and finding gainful employment or launching a career was quite eye-opening. I was very fortunate to have a great education, been exposed to travel, etc. But it was really hard. Now, I, I count myself, and I also believe you are one of those people, as one of, we are an anomaly. We, are, we, we make up a small percentage of the entire youth populace. Let me use that bracket term, okay? When it comes to opportunities, when it comes to exposure, etc. Now, for me, entrepreneurship is a massive answer towards leveling the playing field. Okay, because it, it number one allows people to leverage their collective experience 
their know-hows, their skill sets, their preferences, their talents as it falls within their geographics, etc. For them to make an income and to grow that income and have basically, you know, better quality of life, independent of the traditional forms of employment. And all that does not happen, cannot happen effectively without innovations such as uh, players within the fintech space. Okay. So for me, when I last started my last venture, I, 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 I saw firsthand tens of thousands of merchants who now had incomes, additional incomes that they didn't necessarily have before the introduction of our platform. I met thousands of riders who, you know, I didn't meet them physically, but I they earned revenue through the platform. That's just one platform. I also don't know how many households are behind those riders, behind those merchants who are also positively impacted. And that's just one startup, okay? Now, imagine all the companies that you've mentioned, uh, including MFS Africa. If we, drew, if we truly do, if we truly focus on the opportunities and the solutions that we've set out to achieve, what are the ripple effects that that creates within the continent and beyond? So on a very personal level, this is something that I've seen have incredibly powerful effects. It's something that I truly evangelize. And to be honest, it's my wife for why I do what I do. Because we build tech, but we don't, but the fruits of that tech, it goes way beyond what we can, we can imagine. It can be the difference between uh, a meal today or not. It can be the difference between school fees for this month or not can be the difference between rent or not. It can be the difference between a medical bill or not. And each one of those examples that I've cited are things that I've seen on a first-hand basis. For me, entrepreneurship needs to a very solid base for you to be able to create a solution based on people who are providing solutions that enable. Now payments is not an issue. Whatever it is that you're building, that your payments are covered. If it's logistics, that's sorted. So... Yeah, that's my take. Thanks for highlighting that impact in a very personal and, and practical way. And I, I would agree as well. Uh, of course, the things we do matter and they matter mm-hmm. for ourselves and they matter for many others. Thanks again for the response. However, sure there are issues beyond or beyond just the day-to-day life of, uh, of, a, of that individual customer that you're serving with a payment solution such as when you watch the news, the talk is achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. And uh, world leaders are meeting and discussing solutions. And I can't help but notice that there's some people missing in the room. And these are issues that we're all facing as a global village. Mm. In your opinion, Would a Pan-African fintech company such as MFS Africa, I'm not even going to ask about yourself as Daniel, myself as Patrick. Mm-hmm. Let's just say MFS Africa, doing what you do every day mm-hmm. for people's lives, changing, putting the youth to work. Would we have any role to play in solving such issues, environmental challenges? And if so, what role? If not, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard hitting. Yeah, the answer is yes, quite simply. And quite clearly, to be honest, I myself am not. I may not necessarily be able to have a specific solution that you know that will have a direct impact in terms of agroforestry or, or reduce our carbon emissions within, you know, let's say the commuter space in Kenya, etc. However, by making sure that we have payments infrastructures 
somebody who is within the logistics space is able to harness that and is able to create either dynamic shipping or dynamic logistics planning that enables for a more carbon neutral, for a less impactful way of being able to conduct business or offer solutions in a way that's you know not damaging to the environment or can at least reduce or make us a lot more sustainable. I'm a firm believer, and this is going to sound very philosophical, but it's just the way I see things. If every single drop in the ocean saw itself as special and separate from every other drop, then, you know, it, it would be really, it would really be a wasted effort. Because when you look at the ocean, you, you look at the ocean, you look at individual drops. And I really believe that you need to, to do the best you can with what you have, with whatever position it is that you're in at that point. And by doing that, if each of us are doing that with all our varying needs, all our, our varying talents and gifts, then we are truly able to create a win-win because then we're doing things for the greater good of which, as you rightfully say, we all share. So for me, again, in the same spirit of entrepreneurship, of being solution-centered or solution-centric, um, sustainability, even on a personal level, is something that I'm very impassioned about. Just by me having... I'm sure, of course, uh, being a Kenyan, Wangare Madai, but for some of the listeners who don't, Wangare Madai was a stalwart environmentalist who led a group of women and saved a uh, massive uh, forest in the middle of uh, Nairobi city in Kenya. I'm able to do my contributions via mobile money to support Karura Forest. If there's a cause, in Uga, if, uh, I'm able to do that to preserve the Nile. If it's uh, if there's uh, the Green Belt movement, which is quite an ambitious movement about re-greening parts of the Sahara, that's something I'm able to do through platforms such as fintech. If there are if any causes that I would like to set up, then I'm able to set up collections. So there's a whole vast array of opportunities. It's li- literally infinite potentiality that we can be able to achieve. And I really like the fact that you asked this question because we can't just keep consuming unsustainably. Anything and everything that we do needs to always have that as something in the back of our mind. Yeah, that's my take on that. Well, thanks for very clearly describing how digital payments can power sustainable business, especially now. Uh, in the season of climate change, in the season of uh, mm-hmm. trying to figure these things out. So as we conclude, is there anything else uh, you'd like to make any points, any parting shots that you'd like to uh, make to our audience beyond what the, the heavy topics we've discussed today? Any calls to action? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I personally live a mantra with a mantra of to thine own self be true. It speaks to what I mentioned earlier. Do the best with what you have. Do the next right thing. Live your truth. When you do that, you give permission uh, for others, other people to do the same. I'm a firm believer in entrepreneurship and my journey within MFS Africa is a way that I can realize that calling. I'm also a firm believer in leader. And, and I think it's it's important that we be, leaders are reflective uh, of, of, of the people that they serve. If you serve yourself truly, then the end result will be a win-win. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for having me on the show and looking forward to hearing many more success stories. Thank you, Daniel. That's very powerful. How can your audience today get in touch with you personally or professionally or otherwise? Sure thing. If anyone would like to reach out, particularly within the the SME engagement uh, bit, you can get my email, which is d uh, dmison at mfsafrica.com. I'm also available on LinkedIn. If you if you search Daniel Mison, you will find me there pretty, pretty easily. I'm quite responsive. Yeah, and that's it for now.
And you can also find more information about MFS Africa at mfsafrica.com. They're doing big things and you can obviously learn more about the work they're engaged in. And I thank you so much, Daniel, for your time on our show. And I look forward to hearing and following, hearing more about and following more of your progress in the space and elsewhere. Thank you so much, Patrick. Be blessed. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.